My name is Padraig Otuma and I grew up in a very particular religious tradition, Irish Catholicism, and I'm not sure if I can blame other people for this or just my own neuroses, but I think I always was worried that I didn't have the right answer to questions of religion. And my life was changed when I started to learn how to read the Bible in the company of Jews, who were saying to me, there isn't only just one answer to one question, there's multiple answers to multiple questions, and you need to find a way to hold multiple things together as possibilities of interpretation and truth at the same time. a.m. and the rabbinical students stand in their bathrobes by Yehoshua November. 2 a.m. and the rabbinical students stand in their bathrobes at the edge of the yeshiva parking lot, watching the practiced motions of muscular firemen disembarking from their engine. Soon, it will be determined, the youngest student in the building pulled the basement alarm. After learning over the dormitory payphone, his parents, back in Baltimore, intend to end their 19-year marriage before Passover. The only one the rabbis have not accounted for crouches in his closet behind a row of black sports coats. And because the yeshiva caters to souls but also bodies, the early morning mysticism class on why the divine presence cannot dwell amongst those plagued by sadness has been cancelled. So this poem of Yehoshua November's is a really tender poem filled with story and filled with what you'd call in poetry furniture. If a poem is a room, then a poem always is filled with furniture in the room, things that are happening, things you can see, things you can feel, emotions even. And the story in the poem is straightforward. It's 2 a.m., there's firemen and an emptied yeshiva a seminary for Jewish students and there's a fire alarm and the desire to find out what's happened and there of course is the interrupted night everybody's out in those bathrobes and there's the worry about whether they'll be able to get back in there's the interrupted schedule and the unfolding story the next morning's plans are changed and then there's the backstory to this particular student and his anxiety and his hiding behind the sports coats in the closet and the story of his parents too. It's a, it's a poem that's full of characters. It's really short, but it's a very well-populated poem. Just as a list of the characters, there's the rabbinical students and the muscular firemen and the youngest student. And then there's the youngest student's parents as well back in Baltimore. And there's the rabbis who are trying to account for all the students. And then there's whoever it is, whether that's a rabbi or somebody else, who makes the decisions about the class the next morning. This is a poem mostly about men, although there is the mother of the distressed student mentioned quietly in the poem. And so that's a real particular part of an experience in this yeshiva that is powerful in this poem. 
Yeshua November is a Hasidic Jew. And so the poems in this particular collection anyway, centre around religious culture. There is a really powerful presence of American Hasidic Jewish experience that's brought to the forefront in so many of these poems. Stories about family, stories about study, stories about text, stories about God, stories about seminary. So as well as this being a poem that's set in a predominantly male experience of 2am in this particular seminary with this particular experience, it's also a poem about tenderness and a poem about change. There's the student's distress. There's the student's fear. The student perhaps doesn't know how to give voice to his own distress. He doesn't know how to sound his own alarm. So he sounds another alarm, a literal alarm, an alarm that causes everybody to be evacuated from a building. In a certain sense, he's externalizing what's happening internally for him. And this distress is something that is going to cause everybody to have to reorient around him. I have a friend who's a fireman and one of the things that he knows is that in going to a site of an alarm that there is, of course, the emergency to be responded to, but there's the emergencies that are happening inside people also. And this poem is so wise about this. These firemen must be so used to knowing that sometimes an alarm means other things than just a fire. In a strange way, the poem says at the end that, you know, the yeshiva caters for souls, but also bodies. And so they cancel the class the next morning as if that's only practical. But one of the things that I think is really powerful in this poem is that it is also the soul of him that is being catered to by this class being cancelled the next morning. The class for the next morning was going to look at why the divine presence cannot dwell among those plagued by sadness. And... The fact that they cancel that class the next morning isn't, I don't think, just because everybody's going to be tired from having been interrupted at 2am, but also because they've learned something. Here's a distressed student hiding in a closet surrounded by black sports coats because of sadness that he can't cope with. Somehow, I think perhaps the class needed to learn something that if the divine presence can't dwell among those plagued by sadness, then they're in trouble. And perhaps the class learned how to pray that the divine presence, that God could dwell among those plagued by sadness because they'd had an experience that night about what it's like to have witnessed among them somebody who was feeling so isolated, so distressed and so sad that theology itself, that classes themselves needed to learn from this visible witness among them about the need for the divine presence that this young fella had tried to hide but actually needed to be found and that that is evidence as to why that class pastorally from the point of view of the soul and from the point of view of theology why that class needed to be cancelled.
question as to, you know, religious formation in the context of soul and body that is brought into the final part in this poem is a really interesting one. There's long histories in all religions, I think, as to the relationship of the soul to the body. You know, is the body just a temporary house for the eternal soul? Is the soul part of the body? How do these two aspects of the experience of being human, soul and body, as lots of religions would describe it, how do these two aspects code well in this shape of the body? And different religions will approach it in different ways. And even internally in different religions, different people will understand that question in different ways. But this poem is, I think, playfully highlighting the fact that you can't separate them. And I think that's very, very helpful. And it's always a very good grounding and basic grounding. There's the description of the students in their bathrobes. So right from the word go, there is the idea of the yeshiva as well as then the fact that yeshiva is filled with bodies, bodies that wear different things at different times of the day and bodies that need rest and need sleep. And this is being interrupted. And that, I think, is a really practical interruption to sometimes abstract questions about the delineation between soul and body. Hasidic Jews don't say God's name. One of the ways of referring to God is to speak of Hashem, which means the name. And the, the courtesy and respect and deference of not speaking God's name means that whenever we speak about Hashem, the name, that there's a gap about how we speak because there's an awareness of the name or the many names of God as well as then that profound practice of not saying the name of God. So therefore, that implies that when we speak about the name of God, that there is so much that is unknowable. And this, I think, is the gap in this poem, is that this student, strangely, in his own distress, he raised an alarm in public because he didn't know how to raise it in himself, that he is stepping into that gap between the unknowability of God and hoping, I think, that perhaps God can be found amongst those like him, plagued by sadness. Because the distressed student is the teacher, even though he might not feel like he's the teacher. He seems to want to hide. He's gone to the basement and now he's in this closet. But he has carried sadness and worry in his body and he's externalised it and he's put all those other people, the firemen, the other students, the teachers, the rabbis, into a situation where they have to find him and if they can find him and understand him, then surely God can. And so in a certain sense, he is almost like a divine interruption to the abstraction of that class that says that God can't dwell where sadness is. And he, therefore, is the site of education and learning. Frustrating as that might be, annoying as that might be for everybody else in the class or the teachers or whoever had to reschedule everything for the next morning. His interruption, his distress is an invitation into a deeper way of understanding the theological considerations that they're gathering themselves around. 
And that, I think, is a helpful reminder about how profound inconveniences like this might actually carry something deeper for everybody to reflect on rather than just how do we cope with this distressed person amongst us. and the rabbinical students stand in their bathrobes by Yehoshua November. 2am and the rabbinical students stand in their bathrobes at the edge of the yeshiva parking lot, watching the practiced motions of muscular firemen disembarking from their engine. Soon it will be determined the youngest student in the building pulled the basement alarm after learning over the dormitory payphone his parents back in Baltimore intend to end their 19-year marriage before Passover. The only one the rabbis have not accounted for crouches in his closet behind a row of black sports coats. And because the yeshiva caters to souls but also bodies, the early morning mysticism class on why the divine presence cannot dwell amongst those plagued by sadness has been cancelled. Rabbinical students stand in their bathrobes comes from Yehoshua November's book, Two Worlds Exist. Thank you to Orison Books, who gave us permission to use Yehoshua's poem. Read it on our website at onbeing.org. Unbound is Gotham Shrikishan, Aaron Kalasako, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, and me, Chris Hegel. Our music is composed and provided by Gotham Shrikishan and Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios, which is located on Dakota land. We also produce other podcasts you might enjoy, like On Being with Krista Tippett, Becoming Wise, and This Movie Changed Me. Find those wherever you like to listen, or visit us at onbeing.org to find out more. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.